Welcome to the Changemakers Podcast, brought to you by Graf Martin Communications, where we discuss ministry, marketing, and leadership for good. I'm your host, Ellen Graf Martin, and each episode you get to join me in conversation with some of the most interesting changemakers and groundbreakers from across Canada and beyond. On this episode of the Changemakers Podcast, we have my good friend, Holly Girth. Holly is the best-selling author of You're Going to Be Okay, Fierce Hearted, and many other great books, including her newest release, Strong, Brave, Loved. You can learn more about Holly and check out some of her books by visiting the show notes. Today, I'm going to be talking with Holly about founding the groundbreaking women's blog platform, Encourage, the importance of being a proactive leader rather than a reactive leader, and what it's like to be in leadership and ministry when you're an introvert. I know some of you need to hear that. It's a great conversation, and I'm so glad you get to listen in. Let's jump in. Welcome to the Changemakers Podcast. Today, we are chatting with my very good friend, Holly Girth. Holly is not just my friend, but she is the best-selling author of a lot of books. <laughs> um, the, the You're Gonna Be Okay is one of my favorite books. Fierce Hearted is also one of my favorite books. And uh, her newest release, just released in the fall of 2019, is Strong, Brave, and Loved. You can learn more about Holly and check out her books by the by checking out the show notes. We're going to have more information there. And we're going to be talking to Holly today about a lot of things. And it's going to just be actually more hard to say what we're not going to talk about. <laughs> um, or easier to say what we're not going to talk about than what we're going to talk about. Because this can just go so many ways. I'm so glad that you get to listen in on a conversation with my friend Holly today. Thanks for having me. This is so good. Okay, so Holly, welcome. This is fun. This is kind of like... so. One of your themes that I love is about God-sized dreams. So this podcast is a bit of a God-sized dream. And you have a podcast right now that, like, you and I have talked about this in the past when we visited, and you were going to do a podcast. Tell us about your podcast. Yes, it's called More Than Small Talk, and it launched a year ago. I do it with two dear friends and fellow writers, Susie Eller and Jennifer Watson. So we do a weekly episode, and we always start with a confession question. So a question like, what are you afraid of? Or what's a hard thing you've been through? Like something you would think, maybe I don't want to answer it on air. (laughs) Yes. We do. And we don't prepare our answers ahead of time. So I never know what they're going to say until they say it. So that's really fun. And then from there, we talk through, okay, what will help with that? And what are practical steps we can take? But it's really about just having a lot like this, honest conversations about things that matter. Excellent. So this is really that that is so that will be actually linked in the show notes as well so that you can find that podcast. But yeah, a really good setup because these are honest like we're going to have an mm-hmm. honest conversation about ministry, leadership, marketing, all of those things. And we met because of marketing. So we yes. actually don't get to talk very much on this podcast about marketing even though it's in the title. But um we met through doing marketing. We met because you were coming up to do PR for your very first trade book. And if you don't know what a trade book is, if the listener doesn't know what a trade, what is a trade book? It's like a chapter book. So. <laughs> or in my terms, it's a book book. <laughs> a book book. So it is a, it is because you actually, you're getting to share your very first book today mm-hmm. at my daughter's school. Which yes. Um, and that was a children's book. That was a children's book. I was still an employee at Dayspring Cards when I wrote that. And so it was, I think around 2005 or 2006. So it's a little Christmas children's book, but it was a lot of fun to write, and my friend uh, did the illustrations. And did that kind of kickstart you into your first book book? You know, I didn't think about it that way at the time. I think just because children's books are so different, you know, and so it was a different audience and a different kind of message, but it was a lot of fun to write. So you started off with a children's book, and now how many books? How many book books have you written, and how many devotional books? Uh, de- Devos, ebooks, and book books, about 20. About 20. Yes. So, and so for anyone who doesn't know, one of the unique things about Holly's book, so often there's a book book <laughs> and then an accompanying Devo and, uh, or devotional. Sorry, this is like, I feel like we're industry <laughs> language, a devotional. And Holly actually writes fresh content for her devotional yes. books. So they're not just repurposed another way to sell your content, which can be a really good marketing tactic. <laughs> I always talk to people about repurposing content, yeah. but you, um, you said something to me one time that told me a lot about why you write. And what you had said is, I don't write because I want to say something. 
or I have something that people need to hear. Yeah. I think so writing is mostly about listening, listening to God first, and then listening to the people that you're called to serve through your words and listening to your own heart also, listening what's going on in the culture, what people are dealing with, and then putting that on paper so that it can reach people. So I've always felt like, yes, I'm a writer, but I think my first and most important role is to be a listener. So how do you listen? Well, I think having some margin in your life is the starting place. You know, we live in a very loud, noisy, busy world, and listening takes quiet. And so making sure I have that space with God, you know, and having those rhythms as part of my life. I think for me, having meaningful one-on-one conversations like this one is essential because that's where I learn a lot, where I process a lot. I think doing things where I have time with my own thoughts, like I run not very well, (laughs) but I do get outside and run so I can kind of listen to my own thoughts. And then reading, you know, being on, I'm not on social media a lot, actually. I'm very intentional about that, but I do check in enough to know, like, what are the patterns? What's going on in people's minds and hearts? And so I think it's just building rhythms of listening into your life in a lot of different areas. And at the beginning, you were, so you are also a counselor. Mm-hmm. Is that right? And a life coach. <laughs> and so as part of the listening you were doing was you were actually, I wonder, because you've written a lot of greeting cards as well. Mm-hmm. And when I read them, I feel like they're these very personal messages. And I can imagine you actually saying them to someone in a counseling or maybe what you want to be able to say <laughs> yeah. to someone in a counseling session. How has that played in? Well, it's really interesting to start out writing greeting cards because your job as a writer to be is to be completely invisible. Like you write anonymously, you don't even write from your own perspective. Like I would write cards from a grandma or from a little kid or, you know, to a situation I hadn't experienced, like loss of spouse, you know? And so I would have to research all of those and figure out like, what does someone want to express from this perspective? So it really teaches you to get out of the way as a writer, that it's not about you, that it's about meeting the needs of the people that you're serving and understanding how to reach them. And so I'm really glad that I started there. I think it also built a lot of empathy in me Mm. because you learn to just put yourself in other people's shoes. And so I'm really glad that that's where I started out. I think it's really unique, probably background for a writer, but it's been really helpful. So how do you blend the idea of, I'm just thinking of all the people listening who are like, I want to write a book. Yeah, because you and I hear that a lot. I'm sure I I hear this. People come in there like, how do I how do I get my book published? And you probably hear that too. (laughs) And so, what is your? I mean, we've said kind of get out of the way, start listening, write about people need to hear, not what necessarily you want to say. But what else? So, like, how do you blend getting out of the way and listening to other people with having to market your book? Because that's hard work. It is hard work. And I would say that's still the biggest challenge, I think, for all writers, because writing by its nature is a very solitary thing. It's a very quiet thing. You know, when I'm writing my books, it's just me and Jesus. And then when they launch, it's the whole world. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so that's honestly a challenge. But one of my friends told me years ago, you know, Holly, a brand is just a promise that people can trust you'll be the same wherever you are. And that really helped me, you know, so I think it's helpful to first get really clear about who am I? Who's God created me to be? What has he called me to do? What's a message he's placed in my heart that's even if it's similar in theme to others, how can I say it in a way no one else can? Mm -hmm. And then when you do that as the foundation, I think marketing gets easier Because then it's not, I'm trying to sell my book. It's, I'm trying to get this message in front of as many people as I can. So those that it is for have the opportunity to read it. It's like Mm. casting a net. You need to cast your net as wide as possible, you know, and have as many people exposed to that message as you can, knowing it won't be for everyone, but it will be for the people that God had you write it for in the first place. Mm-hmm. And so I think marketing is, first of all, about clarity and consistency. I think a lot of people think that marketing is one and done, you know, do the latest thing. How and I think it's market book for? <laughs> forever. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, You're Already Amazing came out in 2012, and I'm still sometimes talking about that book. And I think that faithfulness, and consistency and doing small, boring things every day Mm -hmm. 
is probably the biggest part of marketing for me. And um, I think I know the answer to this. Which is harder, writing the book or marketing the marketing book? Marketing the book. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you didn't even think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it is harder. and Much harder. I, and, and I'm so grateful we met through that. It was actually your first time going to be on Huntley Street, mm-hmm. 100 Huntley Street in Canada. And so you and I got to meet that way. Um, and it's been it's been a privilege to be able to work with you as we get your books into as many hands as possible across Canada because the messages are really good. What what do you mostly write about? Like if you were to say the heart of your message, what is it? I would say empowering people to embrace who they are and become all God created them to be. And there's a lot of different pieces to that. You're already amazing is figuring out who you are. You're going to be okay is about overcoming obstacles that get in your way. You know, God-sized dreams is about identifying a dream you want to pursue. So there's a lot of different pieces to that. But every single time I think about a tagline for the next book, I always start there. And then I'm like, no, I can't use that. (laughs) So yeah, I think for me, that's what it is. And a couple, so you've said about brand being consistent, being being the same person? Yeah, being people can trust you'll be the same wherever they find you. So, but a couple of years ago, you took a little bit of a switch in your writing and you wrote a book called Fierce Hearted. Yeah. And um, that was a massive departure from how you were writing before. So how do you do that and stay on brand? I think that the beautiful thing about God is he says, Jesus is the same yesterday and today and forever. And he also says, behold, I'm doing a new thing. Mm. And so when we pivot, we don't say I'm changing who I am. We say I'm changing how I deliver the messages that I'm called to share. Mm -hmm. And so I think where people get disoriented is when they see someone change their identity, not their delivery. Mm. You know, so I would say a brand you trust. You don't want them all of a sudden to change their identity. That's like, I don't know you anymore. You know, that's disorienting with someone in your personal life. Mm -hmm. But yet if they provide something new and fresh and relevant and you can tell they're still listening and willing to change and adapt, like that feels like this brand cares about me or this person cares about me. And so I love that we serve a God who is every generation. He's so creative about how he reaches us. And he comes to us. He doesn't say, you have to do it my way on my terms and come to me. Mm -hmm. He says, I'm going to pursue you creatively. And so I feel like as writers and communicators, as leaders, that we are called to that. When I find myself digging in and not wanting to change, Mm -hmm. I really have to check and say, is there a little bit of pride creeping in? Is there a part of me that thinks I've been successful? I know how to do some things well. People should be willing to do it my way. Mm. Have you ever seen authors do that? Uh, no, <laughs> never. I've in this for a while. And I'm like, I, you know what? I think that's actually a temptation. And I think yeah, part of the temptation is. is because we're tired. And we're scared. I mean, mm-hmm. I think that it's incredibly vulnerable to do things a little different every single time because you believe it will better serve your readers. Mm-hmm. I would love to get to the point where God gives me permission to do the next book the same way I did the last one mm-hmm. because it would sure be a lot more comfortable and a lot more safe, but it would also mean I'm a lot less dependent on him and a lot less considerate of my readers. Mm. And that is wise. That is, that's gold right there. So if you only listen to that part of this conversation and you're thinking about writing a book and you have this book on your heart, you need to listen to that again. I, I think that's, that's really critical. And also I think if you're a seasoned leader, that's a really good word. <laughs> I really do. Because I, I, so what I saw in Fierce Hearted is that you pivoted to a little bit of a different message but you also pivoted to a different way of delivering it. So the short, shorter chapters and more narrative. Mm-hmm. And you, I know you and I talked that that was a response to what you were seeing culturally. So that's part of listening, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think listening, people do read shorter, you know, than they used to. And I think we need to be okay with that. That as long as we can still communicate what we need to clearly, it doesn't matter the length or the format or all the, you know, the hows don't really matter. It's the what and the why that as long as that's there, like let's be endlessly creative and innovative, you know, and how we reach people. And also I did use I a lot more in that book than I ever had before. And it's because I had had a long relationship with my readers and it felt like my turn to talk in the conversation. Mm. I felt like I needed to do that or they would feel like I was holding back in some way. 
And so I think it takes, you know, you can ask, like, what do my readers need at this point in our relationship? Mm-hmm. And, you know, loving them that way, I think, is important. Oh, that's so good. And you talked about innovating and being creative. And I think that part of your fierce heartedness is being a little bit quiet, but also being endlessly innovative and creative <laughs> um, in a quiet but really impactful way. And one of the things that that I am always amazed at, like when people say, like, what does Holly do? I'm like, she created Encourage. And if you don't know what Encourage, what is Encourage? Encourage is an online community for women that started in 2009 and just celebrated its 10th anniversary, which is really fun. So it's collaborative writing and yeah, it's just a community for women online. And hundreds of thousands, if not millions of women every month engage with that platform. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. And so tell us about it. I I think you said that, did you have $500 to start it or something like that? (laughs) Very little. Yeah. So So, what was it? How did you get this idea and like, where did it come from? Well, I was an employee at Dayspring at the time and one of my coworkers, Stephanie Bryan and I found ourselves staying after meetings and being like, where is there a community online for Christian women? And that sounds like such a crazy question, but back in 2008, there really wasn't one. You know, Today's Christian Woman was publishing their magazine digitally, but it wasn't a community. It was content. And so we approached Dayspring and said, hey, we think there's a need for this. And I think they probably thought we were a little crazy because, <laughs> yes. you know, back when what? everyone yeah. thought bloggers were crazy, like yeah. what? You're sharing your personal life on the internet and, you know, yeah. those days. But People thankfully, called it navel-gazing. Yeah. Like blogging was navel-gazing. <laughs> Thankfully, they let us move forward. And so we launched with a team of 30 writers that include a lot of people. Like who? Like Ann Voskamp, Annie F. Downs, Emily P. Freeman. Ann was writing curriculum before that. Is that right? Yes, like I Christian believe so. Cur- it was pre-1000 gifts, all the things. Yeah. So, yeah. And we just started out that way, just contributing to the site. And now they have guest posts. There's Bibles. There's books and products and they're about to rebrand. I got to see what the leadership is doing next last week, and it's extraordinary. They're doing what I just talked about, you know, saying, okay, at this stage of Encourage's mm-hmm. life, what does it take to keep reaching people? And so I still write for them. I'm still engaged. I'm the mama or the grandma or something. Yes. <laughs> but yeah. it's really fun, too, to see a whole new generation of leaders taking it to another place. So for a lot of people, they would launch something like that. It's successful. You can make good money doing this. Um, you, I mean, you could have said, I want to take this brand and you and Stephanie could have said, we are going to take this brand. We're going to blow this thing out of the water. We're going to make a lot of money on it. And this is our way forward. But you actually stepped out of it and released it. Yeah. That is a very fierce hearted choice. <laughs> so why did you step out of it? Yeah. I just felt like it was never mine in the first place. You know, I think nothing we do is ours. There are assignments and resources that are entrusted to us by God for a season. And that means that we open our hands to have those given to us, but it also means we open our hands to let them go. And he mm. says, open your hands and let me let me take care of this. And so mm. I felt called to step away from Dayspring as an employee to start writing books. And that felt crazy to me because I thought I'd be there my entire career. I love it. I still love Dayspring and write for them on a contract basis. And so that was a, a hard, safe, uh, scary yeah, there, right? yeah, season, but I knew that I was supposed to do that. And Stephanie started feeling the same way at the same time, unbeknownst mm-hmm. to each other. We were scared to tell each other, I think I'm supposed to leave. So, but God just orchestrated everything. We needed someone new to manage it. And so we'd been praying about it. And one morning I felt like God put this specific person's name on my heart, Lisa Jo Baker. Mm-hmm. And she was a contributor at the time. And I went to work. And I told Steph, Lisa Joe is the person who's supposed to take this. She was like, yes, that's it. So that day, Lisa Joe sends us an email out of the blue and says, I don't know why I feel called to quit my job. If you ever need help with Encourage, please let me know. Like seriously. That's so crazy. So I forwarded it to Stephanie and then replied and said, send your resume. Like, you know, so yeah. God was so gracious to make it like abundantly clear. And that's not normal. <laughs> like, You know, I can't point to lots of times. Usually I'm like, I have no idea what you're doing, God, but I'm just going to keep taking one more step. But in that particular situation, he was so kind to say, you know, I've got this covered. Mm -hmm. And then my last day as an employee was on a Friday. 
And the following Monday, Ravel, my publisher now, offered me a three-book contract. That's and we've crazy. been publishing together for 10 years. So that, how all that just worked out, you know, yeah. I think he was kind to give me some really big training wheels on that yes. one because it was very hard and scary. And I went through months of like, am I crazy? Like, this makes no sense at all. And what's going to happen? And and then it worked out. It's a, And, you know, for some people listening, they might say like that was a terrible business decision. But it's <laughs> not like um, it's not like you're without business savvy. Your grandparents owned a Christian bookstore yeah. for many years. And so you grew up in that. You, your husband is entrepreneurial. You are entrepreneurial. It's not like you were doing a thing that was unwise. You were doing what God was calling you into. Yeah. Is that fair? Because there are some yeah. people who would, you you are not an impulsive person. Is no, that fair to say? The whole t- process of getting to that point took about three years. <laughs> so it wasn't yeah. on impulse. Because I think no. there are some of us that are more impulsive and we need mm-hmm. to take that time. And I think even what you were saying earlier about being listening yeah. to God is yeah. actually really key to this whole process. Yeah. And what you didn't know at the time was that that first book that you would write write for Ravel, it would do fairly well. Yeah, it's done very well. Yeah. And what amazing. was it called? You're already, You're already amazing. amazing. Um and it's is it still like the top selling book or I think what your heart needs for the hard days, one of my devotionals is a little bit past it now, but it's, it's definitely incredible. number 1 or 2. So And it still sells. Yeah, it still sells. So you did what you were supposed to do, mm-hmm. but you had no yeah, idea at the no. time. That's a risk. And I did end up doing contract work for Dayspring and still do. So I think a lot of times as leaders, we think I have to stop and start things, stop and start things. Like we picture this timeline in our minds with a lot of vertical lines through it, you know, mm. stops and starts. Mm-hmm. So I realized the other day, like that's not really how you build a career over time. Like if you imagine one thing like day spring for me would look like a first step mm-hmm. and then picture a line going all the way across the page with an arrow on it. So that step continues. But then once you're at the po- the point where you have mastered what you need in, in that step, where you have sustainable resources, like you can handle it from a time and energy perspective and you have stable partnerships, you are ready to build the next step mm. onto that. So for me, the next step was encourage and blogging and mm-hmm. social media. And the next step beyond that, once I got a handle on that, was books. And then the next step now is podcast. And then mm-hmm. I'm launching a new book that will open new doors. And so I'll be adding another step. So all of those first things continue. They take less of my time and energy. Like encourage and Dayspring used to take 40 hours a week. Mm-hmm. They don't take that anymore, which mm-hmm. opens up margin for other things. But I think a lot of times we limit ourselves by mm-hmm. saying, it's all or nothing. I have to either do this or not. I have to mm. move on or stay when it's really like, no, grow something to a sustainable point and then build on it, mm-hmm. you know? And mm-hmm. I think that takes a lot of time and patience and faithfulness. Mm-hmm. But long-term, it has allowed us to do, both of us, Mark and I, to do far more than we could have if we had followed the traditional path of, I'm just going to be employee, I'm going to do one thing in one season, I'm going to have a lot of starts and stops in my life. And I have seen that principle. I mean, we wouldn't be doing this podcast today. Yes, if you've totally done the, the same, same thing. It's the same thing. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the neat things for you and I, and one of the reasons why we clicked, is that we both kind of grew up in this sector. I don't want to say industry, but in this, it kind of is, but in this sector, we really grew up in it. And so, um, and, and the unique thing is we grew up in it and we've stayed in it Yeah, <laughs> because it can be a bit scary. And the, the, this, this sector of ministry and books and marketing and all of this and communication, it really, it's not just books, it's communicating, um, has changed dramatically. And continues to. <laughs> yeah, and, and it's hard mm-hmm. to keep up. It would be easier sometimes to step out. <laughs> yeah. So what keeps you doing this? The first thing that made me want to do it when I was five years old, you know, in my grandparents' bookstore is that I just love the power of words to create transformation in people's lives. Mm. You know, when someone has a transformative aha moment Mm -hmm. that they can look back and say, my life was never the same after that. It changed my thinking in a way that changed my life. I think that's so powerful. And that's what books were for me. You know, growing up, I didn't read like the normal kid books. I read Kevin Lehman's birth order book. (laughs) 
in fourth grade when I was nine years old. So and funny. my mom said I did a science project where I took and made my own assessment and gave it to all my friends and determined if they aligned with their birth order characteristics and advanced to regionals and all this stuff. So hilarious. Um, so yeah, so the power of nonfiction, especially, I mean, I know that story is very powerful to you, but for me, being able to write nonfiction that just shifts people's perspectives in powerful ways is is still just as compelling as when I started. And I think Marcus Buckingham would say that you're living in your strengths. If yeah. you were doing that in the fourth grade <laughs> yeah, and you're still right? basically doing yeah. that today. <laughs> I do what I would do for fun. It's just really nice that I get paid for it. So, <laughs> Which is really yeah. good. And I think you do it for fun, but you also do it with enormous intentionality. Yeah, absolutely. So what does intentionality look like for you with what you do? I know we talked about listening um, and taking space and, and physical health, all those sorts of things. But what does intentionality look yeah, like Yeah, well, even when I first started sending book proposals out. I felt over, it was the Easter weekend. I felt like I was supposed to just set aside time and think through things. And so I I did that and I created in PowerPoint because that's what we had back yes. then. I went through and wrote like a mission statement and listed out who I was called to serve, all their core characteristics, like in great detail, what was already in the industry and what was mm. missing, where I felt like I was a different voice and what was already out there. You know, the the cultural trends that I saw that were shifting communication and how I felt like I could align with those, you know, just this massive thinking through all those things. Mm -hmm. And I thought no one else would ever see it. It was just for me to be really clear about who I was and where I was going. But I sent it to my agent because I'd put some of my stats in it and said, this is just for reference if mm -hmm. it'll make it easier for you to get some of the information you need. And he was like, can I send this to publishers? And I was like, what? Yeah. <laughs> proposal. If anyone yeah. is listening and saying, how do I get published? You write a book proposal that outlines all of those things is exactly what you do. Yeah. But um, mine was very non-traditional. And so that went to Ravel and mm -hmm. the leadership there said, that's what was compelling about you is that you were really clear on how you wanted to move forward and how you were different. And mm -hmm. so, yeah, I would say intentional is probably one of the key words of my life. Mm -hmm. I still once a year, more probably more than once a year, probably every six months, I sit down and I redo that process. And sometimes there's no change. And sometimes there's a whole lot of change. Mm -hmm. I just finished doing it again. Mm -hmm. And so I think if we don't do that hard upfront work as leaders, we will be reactive leaders. Mm -hmm. Someone else will do that work for you, mm -hmm. whether it's your peers or coworkers or the culture or the enemy of your heart, someone else will tell you who you are and what mm. you're supposed to be doing unless you sit down and do that for yourself. Oh, okay. That's really good. <laughs> so, and I think you, that's part of growing up in this industry is that you and I have seen some of those leaders. Yeah. And you and I have talked a lot about this, about what it takes to be sustainable. Mm -hmm. Is it sustainable to be a reactive leader with someone else telling you who you are? No. And there have been seasons where I've allowed that. I thought this person knows more than I do, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I should listen to them and I should do what they're telling me instead of what aligns with this, you know, work I've put in and what I know to really be true. And I did that in 2015. And by the end of the year, I was, I went, I had traveled 20 times, spoken 20 times. And I was at a conference and it was the final day on a Sunday morning during worship. And I couldn't stop crying. Mm -hmm. And I was like, what is the matter with me? And I felt like God was like, go home, go home. And he meant literally get on the plane that afternoon and go home. But I think he was also saying, go home to who you know you are mm -hmm. and what I have asked you to do and stop worrying about all the people who do it differently, mm -hmm. that you are adequate, more than adequate for mm -hmm. my purpose for your life. Mm -hmm. You are not adequate for someone mm -hmm. else's. Mm -hmm. You're not built for that. But mm -hmm. for what I have for you, you are who you need to be. And so that took a lot of healing. I mean, I exhausted myself. I was physically, I emotionally, yeah. like I did think for a while, like, I don't know if I can do this anymore, you know? Mm. But I came through that season, thankfully. And I think it's just a lesson most of us have to mm -hmm. learn is that, you know, if living reactively will sooner or later push you into mm -hmm. burnout. 
And I think I'm learning that lesson in so many ways, even right now. And I think we keep learning it. I think in every season, there are new things to push you that way. And so I do think, so I know one of the other things you've said is keeping your tribe around you. Mm -hmm. And I feel really honored to be part of that tribe Mm -hmm. and that you've been very intentional about spending time with Dan and I and our family and and we get to spend time with you and Mark and your family. And so how do you build a tribe of people who, who, who I guess here's the question, because you can have a tribe of people around you who tell you who you are and who push you to be someone that you're not. And I see a lot of that. Or you can have a tribe of people around you like you have. And so maybe tell us about your tribe and how you've found those people. Yeah, I think one key thing is having people who are not in the industry. Mm-hmm. You know, my best friend at home is not even on Facebook. She hates social media, you know, and she has been in my life since 2004, like before any of this started. And I know if I walked in tomorrow and said, I'm going to go, you know, sell bubble gum on the street corner. She'd be like, I think that's a terrible idea, but I still love you. You know, yeah. like she doesn't care what she cares deeply. She reads all my books. She gives them to all her friends. She's walks with me through every launch you know, but at the same time, I know that's not why she loves me, Mm. you know? Mm -hmm. So I have a handful of people like that in my life that just have nothing to do with the industry and the work I'm doing. And I think that's really healthy. Mm -hmm. And then I think we need people who are peers. So who are at about the same place as we are in what we're doing. I think we need people who are ahead of us, a few steps to look to. And I think we need people in our life that we're pouring into also. Mm So kind of saying who are in those three positions and Mm -hmm. it can be hard to find community. I kept trying to find writers around me and being like, you know, I live in Northwest Arkansas. Like, where are they? And Mm -hmm. finally I decided, you know, we hear a lot about finding community and I've come to believe it is not about finding community. It's about creating it one person at a time. Mm. And so I'd meet another writer at a coffee shop. And I'd say, you want to be part of this writer group <laughs> that meets in my <laughs> that house? doesn't exist yet. <laughs> yeah, you know. Yeah. And so yeah. I've been doing that for about three years now, maybe a little longer. And I have a group of, on the Facebook page, there's 26 of us, mm-hmm. I think, that live in our area um, who are writers. And any given month, about a dozen of us meet at my house. And we're everywhere from just starting out on that journey to published and doing it for years and... I think coming together face-to-face, you mm-hmm. know, with people in your local community is helpful to you. Mm-hmm. And so it's odd that I started out launching Encourage and being very passionate about online community. And I still believe in that. But I think it's essential to have a foundation of in-person, local, mm-hmm. or at least I see you on Skype, you mm-hmm. know, every few months mm-hmm. first. And then build on that because those relationships can just get really complicated. Mm -hmm. And I think we need people who see not just our highlights, but Mm -hmm. our weaknesses Mm -hmm. and our imperfect moments and our our messy homes and messy hearts and love us as we are. It's just so good. So so good. I'm glad you've seen my messy home and still come back. (laughs) I love your home. (laughs) Um, And... And I think one of the the pieces that you've even shared with, well, and you've, so, okay, we could go a lot of different ways, but I think one of the things, your new direction that you're taking this in. And so um, you're heading into an area that is kind of unexplored for leaders. And that is around being an introvert and being a leader. And so I suspect that there are a lot of introverts who feel disqualified for ministry and leadership because they are introverts. Is that fair to say? I would say yes. And so what are you learning about that? Oh, I guess I don't want to, okay, you're writing a book. So it's releasing mm-hmm. in the fall of 2020. So just hold on. What is it going the, to be called? Do you have, does it have a title the yet? The Powerful Purpose of Introverts, Why the World Needs You to Be You. Oh, okay. So that's good. Yeah. Okay. So watch for that. Again, we'll link it in the show notes. I don't know that it's a, va- I don't know that the um, sales link is up, but when it is, we'll make yeah. sure it's in the show notes. Uh, so what are you learning just kind of high level? We don't want to give it away. I want you to come <laughs> back and talk about introverts in depth again for another podcast, but what are you learning kind of high level right now? So if someone's an introvert listening today and it goes, that's great for her, 
but I can't find my people because I just want to stay home and hide. (laughs) (laughs) Well, first I would say that's, uh, you know, that stereotype isn't what being an introvert means, Ah. you know, at all. And that being an introvert or extrovert is not about personality or how you feel about people. It's about how your nervous system and brain is, are wired. So introverts and extroverts differ in the primary neurotransmitter that they use. They differ in the primary brain pathway that they use. And they differ in the primary part of their nervous system that is most active. Mm-hmm. And so when you look into the physical research, it's very clear God created introverts and extroverts intentionally because we have very complementary strengths. But I think in our culture, introverts tend to question those strengths Mm. because we're a little more extrovert-centric at this time in history. And so I would say, you know, that we are created on purpose and by design. And I go into this, like every single chapter in this book has a brain science section. (laughs) Because I don't want to just be like, rah, rah, feel good about being an introvert. It's like, no, here are your actual strengths and how they are in your body. And, you know, I don't want to offend any of the extroverts, but there was this massive leadership study done over like 40 years and all these companies, one of the biggest ever. And introverts actually outperformed extroverts. It's CEOs over time. So... Yeah, which is totally surprising, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And that's been replicated even in sales, which is such like a highly social field. Introverts perform just as well as extroverts. Hmm. So yes, extroverts may be more visible and vocal Mm -hmm. leaders, but introverts build solid relational networks over time. We're thoughtful and intentional. We bring a different kind of strength, which Mm -hmm. works really well for certain positions. And so I think neither one is better, Mm -hmm. but we are both necessary. And so it has been really freeing to, I've studied introversion for years now. Mm -hmm. And uh, when I turned in my book, my editor said, I have never seen so many citations in my life. (laughs) Because I wanted it to be like, this is research-based. This is about Mm -hmm. science and business and culture and my own personal story and interviewing other introverts. But I just, I'm really excited because I think more than ever, we need what introverts have to offer. And that is very different. Mm-hmm. And are you writing this to women only again? No. Nope. Okay, so you're pivoting big. Mm-hmm. This is women and men. Is that terrifying? No. You know, <laughs> I mean, I, I love that we're in a season where that's happening all over the place. Mm-hmm. Where, yes, as a woman, I feel more included in certain spaces. Mm-hmm. And I have felt very challenged by God that if I am asking to be included, I should also be including my brothers. Mm. And I know some people are called to a gender-specific ministry. I think there's something powerful about women getting together or men getting together. Mm -hmm. But I think there is a lot of room for us to pause and say, is that necessary or am I just doing that because it's what I've always done? Oh, okay. You know, and so I feel like at this point in this book, it's absolutely for women and men. And I think some of the men that have the hardest time being introverts in leadership are men in ministry because there's a stereotype of what Mm. a pastor looks like or a ministry leader looks like. And yet, you know, those don't hold up either. I mean, introverts are very powerful ministry leaders too. Mm. And I think, and we've talked about this in different episodes of this podcast, that we have this, and you just referenced it, this idea in our mind of what a leader looks like. And I've said it before, like, I feel like a leader looks, you know, I I didn't realize this. I don't think this now, but I realized that my stereotype in my brain was that a leader looks like a man who's like six foot three, very powerful in a very nice suit and kind of in his late fifties with some real authority. And that that's kind of the leadership model that we kind of grew up with in the church in a way like that's mm-hmm. what, because, a, you know, that's what a, a pastor, like a real pastor looks like. <laughs> now, okay, to be honest, that's not what my pastor looked like growing up, but I don't know where that comes from, but a leader can look so different. So like, what have you seen um, in shifting even in leadership models? I think that today we have leadership, not by position, but by actual influence. And so there was a really interesting study done by Meredith Marketing Group where they said, you know, the structure of leadership used to look like alpha, like a stack or a pyramid. 
where you had someone on, on the top, like a CEO who had a position or the prom queen, you know, mm-hmm. if you're a student. Mm-hmm. But that is no longer because of social media. We get our news, mm. you know, from Twitter just as often as we do, probably even more so than a news anchor. I mean, everything mm-hmm. has been flattened, like that pyramid mm-hmm. or that stack has been flattened. And they said instead, leadership comes from what they call gamma, being a gamma. So you're at the hub of a network of relationships. So if you picture like a web, a gamma is at the center of that web. Like you're an absolutely a great Mm -hmm. example of a gamma. Mm -hmm. And you know, anyone can raise their hand and say, I'm willing to build a network of relationships in my life, authentic, Mm -hmm. real relationships in my life, because I have something that I feel is important to share with the world. I don't need a position. I don't need Mm -hmm. someone to hand me a microphone. I don't even need permission. Mm -hmm. You know, I can do it today because Mm -hmm. I have a voice and a computer and people in my life that I can love on. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's a tremendous shift is to say, yeah, now there are endless versions of what a leader can look like. Mm -hmm. You know, there are core characteristics that really matter, like integrity and, you know, Mm -hmm. being thoughtful and how you treat people. But as far as like a position or a certain stereotype, Mm -hmm. like that does not exist Mm -hmm. anymore. And I think that's a really beautiful, powerful thing. Yeah. And I see that and I see that web and I think you're right. I didn't think of my leadership and that's a really good model. Um, but yeah, that's kind of who I am intuitively is Mm -hmm. to build, like I, I've ever since I was a little kid, I'd be that person in the middle and I'd be introducing people to each other and connecting them. And what I have learned through that is how important it is to be consistently who you are. Yeah. Brand. Exactly what you were saying Mm -hmm. is that I need to be the same person on Instagram as I am when you and I are in my home, as when I'm at work. And so it's so funny because I've had people say, why don't you post about your work more on your social media? Like I post about pickles, making pickles (laughs) or my cat or my work or my kid a lot. And and I think that's just because I am a whole person. Mm -hmm. And I think I've said to people, I think it actually puts a barrier between me and other people if I put this highlight reel of the very cool things that I get to do. Because I get to do some really cool stuff, as do you. Yeah. So that being real. So what does that look like for you as well to just be consistently who you are? Because you're a gamma as well. That's building in courage. Yeah. Yeah. That that is who you are. So how do you do that? I mean, I think it's we're in an age where you can no longer hide behind a desk anymore. Mm-hmm. And we're or a pulpit, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. we're seeing that you know, and some painful ways to watch that mm-hmm. not be true anymore. But I think ultimately, in some ways that really needed to happen, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think even in those situations, you know, it wasn't what was going on on the outside. It was mm-hmm. that somewhere in that person's life, there was something that they they needed to hide. I mean, mm-hmm. you know. So I think really living a life of integrity, you know, mm-hmm. of saying. If someone shined a spotlight in all the corners of my life, I would be okay with what they saw. Mm-hmm. And that's where you need your community because we all have places where that is not the case, you know? Mm-hmm. And when we find them, we say, okay, I need to find a way to work through this. Like we've talked a lot about, I've struggled most of my life with depression and anxiety. Mm-hmm. That's just part of my reality. And I'm in a season where all that's in remission. I'm experiencing great freedom, which is so exciting. But there are a lot of times when I needed to tell my readers, you know what? I'm in a hard place right now. I don't you've been have honest it all together. About that. Yeah. And I think when you live in a way where you have nothing to hide, not oversharing, that's a totally yeah. different thing. But when your life itself is consistent, you don't have to worry about your brand being consistent. Mm. So I would say, you know, as leaders, we need to always be looking for inconsistencies in our lives. You know, if I'm if I'm telling people to be happy all the time yeah. and to keep it together and fake it until you make it, and yet I'm struggling with depression, to me, that isn't going to work. You know, mm-hmm. I won't be able to be authentic. And so mm-hmm. I think living authentically in our work and our friendships and our relationship with God, all of that comes together because today mm-hmm. a brand is who you are. Mm-hmm. I mean, It really Mm -hmm. is. Sometimes Mm -hmm. we don't like to hear that because it feels like objectifying ourselves. But I think more than ever, it it just means that a brand is about a relationship, which I think 
can be a really powerful thing. So good. This is a great marketing lesson for, <laughs> for leaders. And it's probably not what they would think. Like this isn't what you would read in a marketing <laughs> book, to be really honest. But I think that this is what people need to hear. And I've seen it. I think this is this sort of a conversation and that I've been able to have these, I mean, the conversation we're having right now is not a new conversation for you and I, no. right? <laughs> like we've talked about this yeah. for, for a number of probably, mm-hmm. I think eight years now. Yeah. Um, I think it's something that people need to hear. And, and I think one of the other pieces that I would love you to touch on as we wrap up is a part. So, okay. And I need people to know that your new devotional is strong, brave, loved, yep. and it is not just content ripped out of fierce hearted. It is fresh. It is, is fresh. Yep. And it is a really powerful. Holly's devotionals are incredible gifts to give to anyone in your life because they are just, um, they're really powerful. And if you know someone going through a hard time, the, the devotional, what your heart needs on the hard days, um, it is an incredible book. I just want you to know that. I Thank love you. that devotional. I have given away so many of your books. However, okay, so I want to make sure we cover that. (laughs) However, I want to jump back to a lesson um, and something that you've really shared through Fierce Hearted, and that's where we're going to kind of wrap up, is around, um, and I don't know if I can find it in the book, but you'll know it, something about, something to the effect of having a quiet voice in a loud world or quiet, I forget what it is, is so countercultural and so powerful. So maybe you can, you can say it way better than I can because I didn't look it up in the book (laughs) right now. I say having a soft heart in a hard world is courage, not weakness. Mm. And I think we live in a world that tells us to be a leader can mean being hard, Mm -hmm. you know, and forceful and speaking your mind, no matter who it hurts and Mm -hmm. taking a stand. And, you know, I think that, we serve a savior who modeled strength combined with great tenderness. Mm-hmm. You know, I think gentleness is strength under control. Mm-hmm. And we're told throughout scripture, be gentle at all times. Like it literally says that there are no exceptions. It's so hard. Be gentle <laughs> at all times, you yeah. know? Yeah. And I think especially as leaders on social media, we need to be really careful mm-hmm. that we don't make being right in our own eyes, more important Mm -hmm. than loving well. Mm -hmm. You know, I think something that's so compelling about Jesus is that he didn't come to earth to solve issues. He came to earth to transform individuals. Mm. And so my filter is if I'm going to talk about an issue in our world today, I first have to find one person in my real actual life struggling with that issue and build a relationship with them before I ever speak about it publicly. Because I Mm. think we can check off, check, check. I said what's right out loud. And so I'm done with this. But I think the challenge is for all of us today to start with finding one person to love. And it is so, that is actually a huge challenge. It is. That that is a challenge because uh, we live in a culture of shouting Mm-hmm. And you you and I have talked about this too, that there's so much shouting and so much angry mm-hmm. um, that loving that one person wrestling with whatever that issue is, um, that is countercultural. Yeah. And so how do you find that person? <laughs> I mean, because we've got a lot of issues. Yeah. And, and I mean, the temptation is to cover our ears and mm-hmm. run away or to just shout back, you know, reactively. Yeah, yeah. So how do you find that person? I think you ask God, you know, have someone cross my path. Start with looking into the nonprofits in your own town. Mm-hmm. You know, ask your church, like, where do you see the greatest need mm-hmm. or you know, in some seasons of life, it might just be a friend or a family member mm-hmm. or your child, you know, and some issues you're not called to be a part of the front lines on. And so mm-hmm. if that's the case, it's okay to let it go and mm-hmm. focus on what God has called you to do. Mm-hmm. Because I think the beautiful thing is we're part of the body of Christ. And that means at the end of the day, he's got everything covered. And so I just want people to feel free to not have to comment on everything because we only have so much energy and to be very intentional and specific about where we put that energy because I think every leader listening has a calling and a purpose. Mm -hmm. And if you're a leader, probably the enemy's not going to be able to, you know, convince you to just jump off the deep end. Yes. But... 
he, for most of us, he can distract us. Yeah. And so I think asking, you know, what are the biggest distractions in the season of my life as a leader? And then how can I, you know, get back to what is really most important? I love books. Books that have helped me with that are Essentialism by Greg McCowan, uh, Deep Work by Cal Newport, Digital Minimalism, it's hard to say, (laughs) by Cal Newport also. Those are some that help me to start thinking about how I work and lead differently. Oh, those are so good. And I am glad that we will have those in the show notes because I think I probably need to read or listen to them as well. So we will have all that in the show notes. And I mean, there's so much that we didn't cover with Holly. Um, We could talk about becoming an adoptive mom uh, to a 21-year-old. Yes, yes, she Um, was my one person. (laughs) Um, So there's, there's just so much that we could talk about. But um, so we're just going to have to have Holly back another time. And you'll be able to get a link to her website in the show notes below and uh, and be able to jump over and read her thoughts and read more about who she is. And we will make sure that all the information about the introvert book is also there because I believe there's even a new website that will be going along with that and not even her main website. So tons of information to come on that. I'm super excited yep. about that book. Thanks, Ellen. Thanks for thanks for joining us. And I'm so glad that you um, at home or wherever you are in your car have been able to listen in on this conversation um, because it is powerful. And I hope you had a few great takeaways today about leadership and marketing and all those things. And yeah, thanks for being here, Holly. Thanks. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Changemakers podcast brought to you by Graf Martin Communications, your marketing team for good. Graf Martin Communications is Canada's leading PR and marketing agency serving faith-based organizations from coast to coast. Visit grafmartin.com to learn more.